A reading from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, and after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Well, my daughter Ellie has been a party planner since she was little. For her third birthday party, she told me that she wanted to have a puppy dog theme and insisted that we go to Party City to select all the decorations, the party favors, and when we got home, she wanted to put together all the party bags all by herself. So we had everything ready to go about three weeks before the party in a cute little gift basket. Well, what I wasn't prepared for was how long those three weeks would feel leading up to the party with her asking me every day, is my party tomorrow? Somehow it never sunk in when I told her, no, you have 21 more sleeps until your party. And she just kept asking me every single day. Well, kids aren't the only ones who have a hard time waiting, are they? We are impatient people who become easily irritated by long lines, traffic, and delays of any kind, aren't we? But in these situations, there's usually an end in sight. You can see how long the line goes. You can look at your app to see how long you'll be stuck in traffic. Usually the airline tells you how long your flight will be delayed. But there's another kind of waiting where there's no end in sight and no certainty about when the wait will be over. This kind of waiting is not only frustrating, but it can lead to feelings of grief, anxiety, and even despair. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When our hope is deferred, it can produce sadness, a discontent, and a true sense of heart sickness. These are the when questions in our lives. When will I get a job? When will I be healed? When will I get pregnant? When will we be financially secure? When will my relationship improve? When will we know the timeline to return to work, school, church, or travel? When will we feel safe to resume the normal activities of our lives? And then, 
There's the big agonizing question in our household right now. When will baseball season resume? Well, a lot of us have when questions like the disciples in our scripture passage this morning. I believe in giving credit where credit is due, so I'm indebted to the scholarship of N.T. Wright for the framework of using the questions when, what, and how to explore our scripture passage from Acts chapter 1 this morning. The book of Acts is written by the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Acts is essentially part two of Luke, the physician's gospel. And for those of you who love evidence and intellectual arguments, Luke is your guy. He starts the book of Acts by citing the historical evidence for Christ's resurrection. Luke says that over a period of 40 days, Jesus appeared to his disciples multiple times and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He says that Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God and also told them that they were to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. But when the disciples had another burning question in their mind, they wanted to know when the kingdom of Israel would be restored. They'd been suffering for a long time under Roman occupation, and they wanted to know when Israel would regain its political independence. Well, Jesus' response is not the answer they were hoping for. He says this, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Essentially, he says, I am not going to give you an answer to your when question. But instead, I am going to give you a what and a how to live for. Jesus doesn't answer their when question, but instead he tells them this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus shifts their perspective from their burning when question by giving them a new purpose a what and a how, while they wait. So let's start with the what. Jesus is calling them to make a shift from being self-focused to mission-minded. Jesus sends them out with a new purpose. You will be my witnesses. He reminds them of all the things they have seen and heard and experienced in his presence, and then he commissions them to be witnesses and share the good news of Jesus with the world around them. Jesus gives them a what to live for, moving from this self-focused existence and dwelling on the question they've been fixated upon to a mission-minded perspective with a renewed purpose and a charge to share what they've seen and experienced of Jesus with others. He sends them out on a mission, naming the different geographic regions that they're to reach out to. Well, these are not arbitrary locations. Each is intentionally chosen to convey a deeper sense of meaning. If you can imagine concentric circles moving outward, he starts with Jerusalem. This is where they are. They're to be his witnesses in their hometowns, to the people around them in their everyday lives. Then he moves outward to Judea and Samaria. Those listening, their ears would probably perk up a little bit as they hear Samaria. This is a region where it's filled with people who they considered outsiders people of a different race and religion, a group of people that the Jews tended to avoid. And Jesus is subtly reminding them that he came for all people, people who are different from them, people they might not even like. 
Jesus is telling them that the gospel message will not create a holy huddle of people who all look the same, but rather God's arms reach wide to create a beautiful sense of diversity in the kingdom of God. And in case there's any doubt in their minds as to who is included in this great commission, Jesus tells them to spread the good news to the ends of the earth, reminding them of the breadth of his love for all people. Well, these are the final words that Jesus gives before he leaves his disciples and before he ascends into heaven. This is the charge Jesus gives to all believers. This is the what that our lives are also to be about. So let me ask you this, how might the Lord be calling us, even in this moment, to shift our focus from ourselves, to adopt a more mission-minded perspective? What might this look like for us, even amidst COVID-19 in 2020, to accept the commission to be Christ's witnesses? Well, unfortunately, the word witness is loaded with all sorts of connotations that Jesus likely never intended. If you're anything like me, you immediately think of the street corner evangelists yelling and holding signs with condemning words or other coercive, manipulative, and judgmental strategies of evangelism that make many of us want to cringe. Don't be that person. But we need to ask ourselves, what does witnessing to the good news of Jesus look like in our day and time? How do we go about making the shift from being self-focused to mission-minded in this present season? Well, I wonder if we need to learn a few things from Mr. Rogers. Fred Rogers, better known as Mr. Rogers to many of us who watched PBS when we were kids, was invited to speak at the prestigious National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Those typically invited to speak were diplomats, political officials, well-known opinion makers. So Mr. Rogers greeting them in his cardigan was a bit of a surprise. He began his short speech by taking out a pocket watch. And he told them he was going to give them two minutes of silence to reflect upon people in their lives, parents, coaches, mentors who had made their success possible. Well, as the two minutes went by, you could hear people sniffling and even weeping as they remembered who had supported them and impacted their lives along the way. Well, I won't take out a pocket watch, but if I were to ask you a similar question, who has had the greatest impact upon your faith life? Who would come to mind for you? Who introduced you to Jesus? What was it about them or what did they say or do that made a difference in your life? Well, chances are they genuinely cared about you. The people that I look back upon who pointed me toward Jesus took time to know me, to know my story. They earned the right to be heard because they, I knew they genuinely cared about me. And as we begin to think about how our lives will have an impact on other people, if we want them to know the love of Jesus, this always starts with genuinely caring about other people around us. We need to show genuine interest in others. We have to get out of our minds some of the ways the term witness has taken on negative connotations. We're not selling something. We aren't coercing to some people to believe something that they don't want to believe in. And we aren't on a mission to condemn others. 
being a witness starts by taking time to genuinely care about the people that God has placed in our lives, and then praying for opportunities to share the love of Jesus with them as God's Spirit leads us. People are not projects. We don't come in with an agenda. We genuinely care about people in order to show Christ's love to them. Well, we can take a second lesson from Mr. Rogers by, and start by being a neighbor. One of the blessings of this season of staying at home has been the resurgence of neighborliness. Have you experienced this? People have gone outside and started to get to know their neighbors again. And it's not surprising to me that frequent walks lead to more frequent conversations with other people. There's an older lady on my street with a reputation for being mean and yelling at people. And we've had several pleasant conversations during this time that have never happened before. I think it's simply because we've taken time to stop and notice one another. Maybe she's not as mean as everyone thinks. It's just that no one stops to see a different side of her. It's hard to be a witness without being a neighbor first which is why Jesus told a parable called the Good Samaritan to show that there is no end to the question, who is my neighbor? Rather, he tells the parable to demonstrate what a neighbor is. A neighbor is someone who's willing to stop and show genuine concern from someone else. And in the case of the parable, the Good Samaritan stopped long enough to help someone else in need. Well, Cease reminded us this morning about ways we can be a witness to our local community by serving those in need through the CAC. As we seek to be good neighbors, we need to open our eyes to the needs in our local community and to the needs of the world around us. Can you imagine what our witness would be like if Christians were known for being good neighbors? Well, you may have heard the often quoted saying of St. Francis Assisi, preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words. There are many ways to preach the gospel with how we live our lives, with how we love others, and with acts of service and outreach. But there may also be times where it's necessary to use words. I think in our day and time, we try so hard to be sensitive and to not be offensive that we often feel anxious about the using words part of sharing the gospel. Even as a pastor, it is much easier for me to stand up here and say these words to you than to have a conversation with an unchurched friend and feel open about my faith with them. I get nervous that people will think I'm judgmental trying to shove religion down their throat, or that I'm trying to coerce them to attend our church. And so I find it easier to just stay quiet when it comes to what I believe around other people. Let me acknowledge that for many of us, the sharing our faith part of being a witness might feel hard. And that's okay. It's actually normal. It was not easy for the early disciples either. In fact, the Greek word witness in our passage is martyrus you may recognize that this is a cognate for the word martyr. Many of the disciples lost their lives in pursuit of sharing the gospel at a time where their new religion was viewed as a threat to their local government. 
we can breathe a sigh of relief that that is not the case for us, that we live in a time where we are free to worship as we choose. But witnessing may still involve some level of sacrifice. It pushes us out of our comfort zone, and ultimately it forces us to rely upon God's Spirit to lead us. 1 Peter 3.15 gives us some important instructions about how to share our faith with others. Peter writes this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Did you catch that last part? We are sharing the hope that we have with gentleness and respect. The approach and the attitude with which we share is so important. A great example of this verse put into practice was Rachel Dom's powerful Mother's Day testimony. We asked her to share the impact that her mom's faith life had upon her own life. And she gave a moving and compelling testimony of the power of prayer and God's faithfulness in her life. But Rachel took an additional risk. She chose to share her recorded testimony on social media. She later told me that she wrestled with this decision whether she should do it or not because she didn't want to offend friends and family members who might not believe in Jesus. But as she prayed about it, she felt that this was something that she needed to do. Well, if you go on YouTube, you will see that Rachel's share has yielded over 460 views. This is about four times as many views as our Kairos worship service have been getting. I think we might need to start asking Rachel to preach for us. Well, I actually got a little choked up when I saw the number of views because of what that represents. That her story has reached 460 plus individuals. Perhaps people in her social network who don't know who Jesus is, who now have been able to hear her share firsthand the difference that the Lord has made in her life. And we have no idea the ripple effect that will come from this and her willingness to share her story and the future conversations that might come because she was willing to take that risk. Well, for many of us, sharing our story will come in more casual contexts. Peter is implying that people will ask us about our faith. Well, some of you might be thinking, well, if this doesn't happen, does it mean that I'm off the hook? Well, let me ask you this. How often do you ask other people about their faith lives? Are you curious about what's going on in other people's lives? Perhaps we can start there, asking people about the things that are going on in their lives and taking time to listen well, and then trusting that as we take genuine interest in others, God will show us if we are to share more in that moment. Or perhaps it means sharing about something that you're genuinely excited about that's happening in our church, or taking the risk to invite someone to something that we're doing here at Kairos. There are so many ways for us to share our faith with gentleness and respect. Well, the interesting thing is that this unique season that we are in has stirred up a lot for people. People around us are facing anxiety, economic troubles, fear about the virus, uncertainty about their futures, and this may actually create a greater sense of longing and openness to the hope that we found in Jesus. Let's begin to pray for a sensitivity 
to the people that God has placed in our paths and asking God's Spirit to guide us as to how he wants us to, to encourage people around us and to reach out to those that he's placed in our lives. Which leads us from our what to our final question of how. To be effective witnesses, God's Spirit must empower us. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. The how of Jesus's commission is a shift from being self-reliant to spirit-empowered. Jesus reminds his followers that the spirit would be the one who would enable them to witness. This was not something they were to do on their own accord. In the context of the book of Acts, the Spirit came in a dramatic way at Pentecost, which we will celebrate next Sunday. They were instructed to wait for the Spirit in Jerusalem until this time. But in our lives, we too need empowerment from the Holy Spirit. And while we believe that when we receive Christ as our Lord, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit is an ongoing process in our lives. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says, be filled by the Spirit. This Greek verb is in the present tense, implying it is not a one-and-done thing. It is, we need to continually be filled by God's Spirit. In Galatians, Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We need to learn to walk with the Spirit. This is the lifelong process of keeping in sync with the rhythm and leading of the Holy Spirit. So how do we orient our lives around this rhythm? How do we make the shift from self-reliance to spirit empowerment in our everyday lives? I love that word rhythm because it, there are so many variations to it. Even in one piece of music, a rhythm can change. My daughter's a violinist, and this past week she asked me if I would dust off my piano playing skills to try to accompany her in a duet. Well, I noticed very quickly that the rhythm in this one piece shifted from 4-4 timing to 6-8 midway through. We had fun trying to play this together, although her violin skills far surpassed my piano playing. But finding a rhythm in your spiritual life will probably take some practice, and it may also change from time to time. But our spiritual lives need to have a rhythm that allows for us to be filled by God's Spirit. We might need to stop and take a deeper look at our lives to see how we can create a rhythm that makes room to be filled by the Spirit on a daily basis. Perhaps this looks like starting a new morning routine, engaging in a scripture study, going on a daily prayer walk, or carving out a time for some evening prayer. Perhaps it means daily asking the Lord to fill you and to guide you. Jesus has given us all a how in life, the ability to shift from self-reliance to a spirit-empowered life, so that our lives will be connected to a greater source than our own will and strength. And when we trust that God's Spirit will be at work in our lives, He begins to connect us to people, then opens up the right opportunities in His timing. Well, there's someone right here in our Kairos community that is teaching me what this shift 
from a self-reliant to spirit-empowered life can look like. You may have read in the weekly email about Maria Firevari's recent decision to move back to Costa Rica, where her ministry, Saving Hearts Together, which rescues girls from trafficking, is located. Well, I reached out to Maria a few times over quarantine because she had actually been sick earlier in the year and I was concerned about her health. Well, each time I called Maria, she was not concerned about herself in the least. She was concerned about me, other people in our church, her own family, and she also expressed her concern for her girls back in Costa Rica. She told me with all this extra time on her hands, she just had been doing more time talking to the Lord, and she really was sensing that God was calling her back to Costa Rica so she could be more present to the girls there and the ways that the ministry was expanding. But her openness to God's Spirit really struck me, as we often want to know, how is God leading and guiding me? Well, friends, our willingness to stay connected to the Lord and allow ourselves to truly listen to God's Spirit will always lead us to the what, the mission that God has for our lives. We think we need an answer to our when questions, but what we really want to know is how our lives can have a greater sense of meaning and purpose. And we want to know how we can play a greater part in the story that God is writing in our world. God wants to move us from being self-reliant to spirit-empowered and from being self-focused to mission-minded so that we can be swept up into a bigger and far more joyous reality of being used by God to spread the love of Jesus to our world. God has invited us to be his witnesses, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those around us. For some of us, this might happen in our neighborhoods. For others, the Lord might call us to reach out to people who are different than us. And for others like Maria, God might lead us on a global adventure to serve him and to share his love with people all over the world. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for the call that you have on our lives and that you are sending us out to be your witnesses. Lord, I pray that even in this time that you'll begin to place people on our hearts that we can pray for, that we can reach out to, and that we can find ways to share your love with them. Lord, we pray that you would move us from being self-reliant to spirit-empowered. Would you show us ways in our daily lives, Lord, that we have an opportunity to connect with you and be filled by your spirit. And Lord, would you enable us to trust you, that you're at work in our lives and that you will be working in and through us to share your love with those around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.